Hello and welcome to a brand new podcast from Leeds Poetry Festival. We are going to be interviewing poets um, and anyone to do with poetry over the next year. This is Poetry on the Air. I'm Jack Collins. And I'm Poppy Jennings. In this episode, we'll be chatting with Beck from Bent Key Publishing, which is a brand new poetry publisher taking the North by storm. And we are really excited to have her on the show. Before all that, Jack, I'm going to interview you. Okay. Are you ready? I'm ready. Okay. Have you always loved spoken word? Um, I have. I have actually. From when I encountered it, I actually didn't encounter it until very late. So probably like... When I was 16, I first watched, um, of course, John Cooper Clark is like one who is a famous example and I think has like brought a lot of people um, into it. And it was on YouTube and I loved it straight away. I just thought I'd actually always wanted to be a musician. And then and I loved rapping with my friends um, in school and just didn't really know about it. And then as soon as I saw it, I was like, yeah, that's for me. Yeah, it's not exactly something that you kind of push towards doing, are you? No. Poetry, spoken word, it's not really like... But it's just strange because, like, the history of, like, English in this country, so much of it comes from spoken word. And Absolutely. The oral tradition, this yeah. is what I love, is, mm -hmm. like, I think there's... Um, there is a big divide, and as well, I think, quite an, a widely unspoken division between um, kind of people who dislike spoken word but write poetry and people who practice spoken word but perhaps are like a little bit afraid to get involved in discussions mm. about like more yeah. abstract poetry or um poetry i don't know let's scrap that <laughs> um but uh i think yeah spoken word's an excellent window into it it bridges the gap between music and, and kind of page poetry and it's my fave so would you say that John Cooper Clark is one of your big influences from writing? Uh, to be honest, I would actually say that although I love John Cooper Clark, no, only because um, I think since I was I, I was obsessed with him, um, I knew that I wanted to go in a different direction. I didn't mm. just want to emulate. And th this is like 15, 16 years ago now. So Long time. Yeah, and <laughs> I really wanted to branch out and... Um, see what else is out there and attempt to write some of it. Mm. And um, I think that has changed the way I write a lot. Yeah, it's funny, isn't it? Because I, th I think a lot of people, when they ask you like, oh, who are your favorites? Or like, who are your big influences? They don't have to do exactly what you do. Mm. Or you can like, you can admire someone and like really absolutely adore the work that they do, mm. but they don't actually influence your the work writing that you as much. do, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I think it's like, um, I certainly started off trying to emulate but but you then mm. have to grow don't you and yeah, move definitely. away from what you start with that's how you learn isn't it like by listening to what other people are doing and then kind of thinking what do i want to do actually is it the same is yeah. it different i think that's why i was so drawn to like open mics mm. and for like for years um before we met i was like organizing events mm -hmm. and putting them on and Part of that was an obsession with hearing people say poems. I like it was like totally a learning thing. Like yeah. I would love to the, to for people to get up and read, but ultimately I was like making sure I was exposed to their work. Mm. Um, yeah, that was definitely part of it. What are you working on at the minute? 
Um, at the minute, I am really working on getting like solid sets up on stage. Like I've I've been doing hosting for so many years. I think I've moved away from like wanting to be um, a poet who could hold a show on their own and that's mm. really my goal now i consider myself completely to still be a student of it <laughs> and yeah. um still learning but i'm m much more now moving towards like the f trying to create something that is valuable and that i can make into like a full show however that kind of concludes yeah yeah that makes sense i think it's nice to like because like because so much of your presence is on stage i think it's it's interesting that you still see yourself as like learning and kind of a student of it in a way. Definitely. I, I always feel like the pressure to be published, mm. um, but I resist that. A, I don't know if I'm ready. Mm -hmm. um, B, like where I, where my poetry lives really is the stage and that's what I love about it. it I'm always like hesitant when I think about publishing and it mm. stops me from sending things around, but I really want to move more towards performance. Yeah, I think you can, you don't have to, I think so many people think, right, I need to get published, I need to get my name out there, but actually engaging with like the local scene and all these open mics and events, mm. that's such a a unique and really good way of learning how to be a better poet. Because mm. you've seen other people perform and you're performing yourself. And I think sometimes as well, you know, when you're reading your own poetry out and you're like, oh, I need to change that bit. Definitely. I think I'm a, like, every performance is an audit. Mm -hmm. I, I'm constantly berating myself, <laughs> which is probably not the most healthy thing, but mm. um, each performance, yeah, absolutely. Caps you, too you can, It hits the ear wrong if you've yeah. not written it right. Mm -hmm, definitely. Is there anyone that you haven't seen perform that you would absolutely die to see live? Oh, that's such a good question. I would love to see Holly McNish. Mm. I've actually been following her for ages and I know loads of people who've seen her and who love her work. Mm -hmm. I would really love to see her live. She's yeah. doing a tour at the moment as well. I think she's in America as we record this. Um, but I've seen some of my like dream sees. I've seen Anthony Anaxaluru and Joelle Taylor. Oh, I am absolutely desperate to see Joelle Taylor perform. She is fantastic. I yeah. saw her um, as she was composing Kunto, mm -hmm. it, like because she talked about it on stage and read bits out yeah. from it because she was still like flying the work. I saw her um, a Nymphs and Thugs. Yeah. Are you looking forward to Leeds Parish Festival 2022? Um, yeah, <laughs> definitely. It's going to be amazing. Yeah. We have got some incredible poets coming. Mm -hmm. We've got some incredible performances. Um, and who doesn't love a week of poetry? Absolutely. I am doing a workshop on performance for people, for beginners. So um, I love um, being on stage and performing. I still get incredibly nervous every single time. So I wanna give people like a nice rundown of um, techniques that will help you to perform more effectively and add meaning to your words. I actually, I got an amazing tip off um, Vic Leeson who said that I should do um, a mic, like even just a mic stand tutorial. Oh. At the very beginning, because a lot of poets have no idea how it works. That's a good idea. And is like an immediate barrier for beginners. And I, I thought that was really cool. So, so yeah, if you don't know how to work a mic stand, come to it. <laughs> I remember the first time that I had to go on stage for anything. And 
the mic stand hadn't been moved at all and it was yeah. really high up and I just kind of yanked it down but it didn't come far enough down so I was just like leaning up to the microphone uh, like tippy toes yeah it looked ridiculous yeah it can do about half of all hosting duties is yeah, microphone, microphone handling mm-hmm. I'm, I'm pretty good now at estimating heights yeah as they walk up you're also performing with Laura Graham and Carla Mella on Saturday. Yes. How do? Yeah. A showcase of some northern poetry and northern talents. I'm really looking forward to that. Yeah, it's going to be really exciting. Yeah. I think it's going to be funny. It's going to be profound. Come down if you want to see some amazing poets as well, because I know both of them are incredible. Yeah, amazing. I mean, I'm obviously really excited for the festival. Yes. But um, I really hope everybody else is too. We're joined today by Rebecca Kenny from Benke Publishing. Hi, Rebecca. Hello. We're going to ask Rebecca about um, indie publishing um, and what's going on with Benke. And we're also just going to chat and laugh and stuff like that. We're going to start off with a poem from Rebecca. Uh, do you want to take it away? Uh, maybe tell us the title and then go for it. Uh, yeah, this is a piece called Sad Times and uh, it's quite self-explanatory. These are the sad times, slow vibes devoid of rhyme or reason. This is the season of desiccation. Elaboration is absent. Sequester yourself in the admiration of naught but blank walls in your own mind's descent. Repent, relent, give in, consent to the ascension of tension and these fault lines imminent because these are the sad times. And yes, you'll feel bad times. The lines in the sand are drawn up in prime times. The look deep inside times to see the pride you left behind times. The terrible rhymes on stage times to process the rage times. You feel lost. And that's true. Your aura is blue. A human brain cannot contain what has happened to you. And sometimes the sad times arrive bang on cue without a notice or reason or a valid excuse. And they build up a wall. They build it up tall, bricks and mortar, you know you ought to scale it, but you fall at the very first step. And you feel inept, you can't connect to a future that you haven't yet met. It all feels so hopeless, but remember, you are faultless, and you'll run this gauntlet across the finish line and flaunt it. Find the dark room that exists in your mind's eye and haunt it. It's daunting to change. New beginnings are strange, but you've been afforded a new life, exchanging the old one for new. It's true, you are you, but you owe yourself something now. You've work to do. And these are the sad times, and yes, they are bad times, but good times are coming. They're just over the sand dunes, so keep an eye on the horizon. Watch out for the sun. The sad times always end just as quickly as they've begun, and it feels like you're wading through gravy, through mud. But you've got this, you know this, you're better than good. So remember, these times are the sad times, it's true. But they'll soon be over. There's a future waiting out there for you. Woo. Wow. That was amazing. Thank you. I love that image of the sand dunes. That was really nice. <laughs> Gorgeous poem. Thank you very much. Thank you. I used to live in Southport. Um, and one of my ways of dealing with stress before I had the crash was to just go and stomp along the sand dunes and nice. sit at the top of one and just enjoy the view. Um, so that's kind of where I'm aiming for in my future now, to oh, get wow. back up there. <laughs> Do you find that like with your poetry, you take a lot of inspiration from like what's around you and where you come from and stuff? Yeah, like I always say that I write about mundane stuff, um, partly because of who I grew up reading and 
I like to take those little boring bits of life that for me mean something really significant and yeah. try and get that significance across to other people, even if they don't really understand it, if that mm. makes sense. Yeah. yeah. The magic in the everyday. Yeah, exactly. Love it. That's nice. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, Bent Key, this yes. absolute <laughs> storm of a publishing house that's just <laughs> blown up out of nowhere this year. Unstoppable. What do you, like, where did that inspiration come from? Where did the idea come from for you? Oh, God. Um, this is a huge story, yeah. I know. <laughs> <laughs> um, oh, God. So I'd been a teacher for 17 long, long years. And, um, and I was driving to work on the 1st of October. And I was coming around a bend somewhere near Lydia on the way to Magull and I skidded on some oil and I lost control of the car. I went into a spin and I was T-boned by, of all cars, a yellow Fiat Punto, oh, wow. which is just dead embarrassing. <laughs> and <laughs> and, um, and when I, I got to Aintree Major Trauma Centre and they, they brought me in and they did a load of scans and I, it turned out that I'd broken my back in six places I'd broken my neck in three places. I'd broken my pelvis in two places, my sternum, my sacrum. I had really bad whiplash. I had seatbelt syndrome. And um, and I, I was kind of in this weird situation where I was awake enough to be compass mentis and to understand what was going on, but I couldn't move. And um, And I remember I was in bed and I just put a message in this poetry chat group going, guys, I mean, ain't you major trauma center because I've just broken my back in a car crash? And everyone was like, what? And um, (laughs) to me, it was just like, I need to talk to somebody because I wasn't allowed any visitors on the ward because it was because of COVID. So I was kind of just sat in this bed surrounded by elderly people who'd all like fallen down or fallen down the stairs. And and it was just me. And and then I found that people, the poetry community just came out and they were they were like, do you want to write something together? Do you want to do you want to work on something? Do you want to collaborate? Just anything to pass the time. And there was just so many. I had people like Lisa O'Hare, um, Anthony Schmerick, um, Tom Stocks, just people dropping mm. into my inbox, just going, mate, are you OK? Like, how's things? Oh. Let, let us know. And um, and then we collaborated on this piece of this pamphlet called the poet who broke her back and it was just a collection of poems that i'd written with people during my time on the ward and we sold it for like a fiver a piece to raise money for for the major trauma center because they've been so amazing and then i was like well maybe i'll write my own collection and um and in that six months because I was in bed for a really long time. I couldn't get up for a really long time. Mm. So I did a lot of writing from my sick bed. Um, I did a lot of writing all the way up until Christmas. And then come Christmas when I was on crutches, I went to say in in Nyamos in Manchester. And Tom Stocks got me a chair on the stage and they escorted me up. Nathan Parker got me up on the stage and... I kind of promptly burst into tears whilst delivering a poem, but everybody was just so supportive. Yeah. And then I started saying I was writing this collection and then I started getting messages from people just saying, do you know, you did that poet who broke her back. How did you do it? I'd love to put a poetry collection together, but I don't really know how to. And then I kind of thought, well, if I'm going to do my own book, maybe I'll release it under a publishing house name rather than self publish it. And, um, 
and then how am I going to do that? How am I going to do that? <laughs> well, I've, it's just so happens I've got like three months in bed to learn it all. So, so I, I went online, did loads of research, and then James Walton approached me, and he was like, "I've got this collection of poems, and I'd love to put them into a book. Can I have your help?" And then Tom Stocks approached me and was like, I've heard that you're doing a book for James. Would you want to work on a book with me? And I was like, yeah, okay. It's like, <laughs> I don't really know what I'm doing, but let's work on it together. And so that was how it was kind of born. And then I was umming and ahhing over names and um, I didn't know what to call it. And then I remembered when I came home from the hospital, I had like a bin bag full of my clothes that they cut off me. And I was rifling through this bin bag and I found my front door key and my car keys that had been in my pocket because I had one of those push button cars. And my front door key had bent like pretty much in two. And wow. I had this, I, it was dead weird. So I had this conversation with Anthony Schmerich of all people where I was like, it just feels so weird. And he was like, mate, like that car was mm. destroyed. That key is destroyed, but like you're still here and yeah. you're walking and that's mad. And so it was just like, I can't really call it anything else because it's yeah. just a symbol of everything. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> it's wow. an, it's such a cool name. I remember thinking like when I started seeing all the posts come out on social media, that's such a cool name from, for a publisher. But then to actually <laughs> hear like the inspiration behind it, where the name comes from and yeah. how closely tied it is to this incredibly transformative period of your life that's I guess still going as well it like is. you know you're still in it but you get to see all this incredible stuff come out of it yeah well. and it's it for me it's dead rewarding because it's like it is a horrible thing that happened and I can't escape that and I do mm. have my really dark days mm -hmm. which is kind of what that first poem was about but knowing that what I'm doing is providing some kind of joy to other people it makes me go do you know what actually mm. Yes, this is awful, but it's all awful for a reason. And our little key logo that we've got, that's actually the key. So Sam, our artist, took oh, wow. a picture. She took a photograph of the key and she turned it into like a drawing and that's the actual key. That's amazing. So It begs a lot of questions, the uh, name. I yeah. wondered straight away. <laughs> yeah. As soon as I saw it, I was like, thank key. It's like, it's a metaphor. I like it. Yeah. <laughs> it kind of is a metaphor in a way because it's like, it's dead strange because it kind of embedded itself mm. in my leg, this key. But then at the same time, like the car had come in on my right side and everything was kind of pinned down. Mm. And then it was... So did it fold against you? Yeah, it kind of folded in. So oh I've got a big God. scar on my hip where it, where it was, but that was literally the only cut I had on me. I had no other cuts on me, no other wow. bruises, except for the seat where the seatbelt had hit me. But yeah, just this one. It was almost like it had protected me because it had stopped the door from squashing even mm. further, yeah. this bunch of keys. So, yeah. Wow. That's, <laughs> and it's an incredible, terrifying story. <laughs> you know, there's yeah. so much in that. But I think, I, I, I just think it's amazing what you've done. Like, you went from, you know, you were, you were a teacher and then this really awful experience happened. But now you're this incredible figure in the community that just nurtures Aww, all these poets <laughs> and brings something out of it that maybe yeah. otherwise they wouldn't necessarily have been able to do. Is you've reflected back the yeah. love you got from the community there? Yeah. yeah, absolutely. I always call it my love letter to yeah. the community, and that's why we have the kind of ethical stance as well. Partly because we're all learning. So mm -hmm. I always say to my writers, "This is a learning curve. Mm -hmm. I will make mistakes." that's to be expected mm -hmm. i'm a teacher by trade but um but we don't charge anything 
because mm. I was seeing a lot of poets getting charged yeah. and, and sneaky charges like it's a free to end competition but you have to buy one yeah. of our books and our books Lots are 15 quid it's frustrating as well because that only seems to be something that happens in poetry publishing yes. you don't see yeah. it in literary fiction non-fiction publishing and like I think I understand that it's smaller um, like in the grand scheme of all the literature that's published in the world but that doesn't mean that we should be taking advantage of poets and charging them you know because then they might as well just self-publish yeah. and do it all themselves and you're immediately mm. placing the barrier like yeah. the working class writers and yeah and like, it is and that and that will always disproportionately affect the north Mm. because definitely that and that was where it all came from and that was where a up the anthology we've just released came from i was having a conversation with james and i was like i really want to do this book that is just for northern people yeah mm. and it just says it's i want to call it a up like and i want to make it dead northern like everything that makes us <laughs> dead brilliant northern dead northern, northern <laughs> i love it um so what I know you've got 20, including yourself, you've got 21 um poets in house, which wow. is yeah, we've got incredible. That's <laughs> impressive. You have so many poets, I love it. Um, what draws you to a poet, um, or even just a poem? What draws you in? Are there criteria that you look for, or is it completely instinctual? Do you know, I didn't when I went into I opened for submissions and I was expecting to maybe get like five submissions and I had 300 submissions. Wow. wow. And it kind of got to the point where I was like, I don't really know what I'm looking for. I just felt like I'd know. Do you know when you look for a house and they say you just know? And yeah. um, and so what I would do is download the manuscripts and look at the first three pages and see if it grabbed me from the beginning. And I honestly can't say what it is that grabs me. I just think some pieces of writing, so for example, Lol Perkin is, mm. is, is someone that immediately just listening to her and reading her words, it was like, I need to, I need to know more from her. And it was, it, all of our writers are so massively different, but it's just every single one of them made me go, I need to know more about that person. Right. And I think all of the collections we've done, when you get to the end of it, whether it's a funny collection or a deep and meaningful collection or, or a collection that's kind of dealing with trauma or something really difficult, I, I always feel like I came to the end of them feeling like I knew that person. Mm. And that was what was important to me. A lot of our poetry isn't very kind of florid or, or full of massive metaphors. It's very plain speaking. Mm. It's very to the point. It's very much not the stuff that you get as part of the English GCSE, but maybe you should. Yeah. Mm. And it's just so northern. Yeah. Full of character, very yeah. certain identity. And passion. Yeah. yeah. I don't think you need to be writing sonnets mm. to be passionate. And I think a lot of our stuff, like Tom Stocks is a great example of someone who knows how to draw a crowd. Mm -hmm. His writing is dead funny, um, but it's not kind of dead. Mm-hmm fancy florid poetry yeah. <laughs> it's just straight talking it's like yeah. this is a poem about bin influences the blokes who put the bins out yeah. and Amazing. everyone loves them because no one knows when the bins go out and it's just that kind of identifiable stuff that makes yeah. you go do you know what i love that mm. yeah i think graphic design plays into that really well because it's all bold full of identity and each like cover i've seen come out of your like collections has such a strong 
like visual aesthetic. Mm, definitely. Yes. Yeah, Every that... time I see a new cover, I'm just like <laughs> drooling. That's sick. Yeah. Where do they get come up with these designs? But it's that amazing. Sam Sam Sanderson Marshall, she runs a design illustration agency called Smash Design Illustration, mm. and um, and she's amazing. She'll, she'll get all the writers to make a Pinterest board, and she's like, put anything in it anything that says this is me so james walton's for example was just pie bombs uh, and, and cans of lager uh, <laughs> on his uh, thing it's like what sums up your poetry and it's like um isn't it like chips uh, peas chips peas gravy <laughs> it's, it's like ale fish chips gravy yeah. Something, yeah. so funny, funny. It's, it's like you, you just it's like this is what makes me me mm -hmm. so then she takes that pinterest board she reads the collection and then she's got this really good eye for picking out tiny parts of the poems. Yeah. So like for my cover for Crash and Learn, there's one poem where I mentioned this song, Build Me Up Buttercup. And she was like, I just thought you mentioned the buttercups and the flowers and the rebuilding. And so she came up with this amazing image of like a spinal column and a pelvis with buttercups growing out yeah. of it. I would never have been able to come up with that. It's amazing, isn't it? Like she really does just have an eye for these incredible Artwork. Like whatever catches her, yeah. She'll, yeah. she'll read it, and then it's some some line that like yeah. she'll take and turn into an image. Yeah. Flat. She I takes the time to get to know the person as well. So like with Lol, she she got this. She took the time to troll through Lol's social media, mm. look at what she was passionate about, and what made Lol Lol. And then the cover for Fuming is it's just Lol. You look at it and you go, that yeah. is it. You couldn't do any better for her. What made lol lol and what made lol lol? <laughs> yeah. Terrible. Good one, Jack. <laughs> First joke of the podcast. <laughs> Amazing. Sorry. I accept your apology for Thank the you. uh, terrible lol dad joke. <laughs> More to come. Sorry, lol. Love you. I mean, the creative side of where this all came from, the publishing, the authors, the artwork, it's amazing. Thank you. Was the technical side, the finding the right publisher, like the printers, and how was that in comparison to working with the artists? Uh, to be honest, I quite like it because it's all that kind of boring stuff that gives me the headspace to focus, like focusing on finding and sourcing kind of venues and printers and paper stocks and stuff like that it was that mundane stuff that helped me to just be calm in myself because I think there was a period of time when I was recovering where if I had too much time on my hands and I was sat in the quiet I couldn't cope with it but when I had something boring to do it so I, I spent a day learning about legal deposits at the British <laughs> Library and <laughs> ISBN numbers oh my god <laughs> <laughs> and doing these like online courses and it was like and I learned loads from mm. it, but it helped me because it was just like, it was sitting quietly, but also not reflecting on the bad stuff that had happened. Yeah, yeah it's like meditative, that learning. Yeah, 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 definitely. And I I have a really short attention span anyway. So being stuck in bed and not being able to do anything was really hard work. So having kind of these things to, to work through, I don't think yeah. I'd have been able to do it without the accident. So there's a kind of, serendipity in, in there yeah like yeah. it's always like it would force me to sit down and do something that wasn't something i've been doing for pretty much my entire adult life and yeah i don't think i'd have taken that opportunity otherwise yeah i mean it shows incredible strength being able to find that like 
that seed in the mud, I guess, like as an, sure, in, do you know what I yeah. mean? And to grow something beautiful from something that's, I mean, it's changed your whole life. Yeah, you it's know? definitely changed. I always think, I always come back to, there's this poem by Anthony Briscoe called There Is A Place Beyond The Trees. Mm. And it's all about how like, you will find that good place, but you do have to fight these brambles and these vines and yeah. they'll tie you up and they'll scratch you. And he always laughs at me because every time he reads it, I start to cry. But mm. I'm like, that is my <laughs> life. It's like, well, you have to fight all this horrible yeah. stuff and the good stuff happens. And I remember we were on stage at Brighton Fringe in May. And I was just like, we did this. Like, look what we've done together. It's amazing. That like reality check. Yeah. <laughs> Suddenly you're like, oh, People I'm paid here now. to come and watch yeah. us. And yeah. we're like in Brighton. <laughs> they didn't know who we were. Yeah. But they were there. And we, you know, it wasn't a massive venue, but the, mm. the seats were filled. And we just looked at each other and we're like, look what we've done together. Like, oh my God. We we've got there. We did it. it. Yeah. <laughs> I love that. Um, could you share with us one more poem? I could. Just Thank give me a moment much. to find it. No worries. So Rebecca um, goes on instinct when she's choosing a poem. So um, <laughs> we're going to give her a mouth. This like is just the story though. of my life. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you totally. Trust your instincts. So, yeah. yeah, absolutely. Like um, artist choosing instinctual, your graphic designer mm -hmm. reads the lines and makes um, the images out of instinct. Yeah. And instinct of a lot of our mm. poets are like that as well. Like I've got a lot of them will just be like, it's really hard for me to prepare for like a fringe festival because I do just choose five minutes before I feel the mm. vibe of the room. Anyway, I'm going to read one that I've only just written. Um, and this is from a line from one of my friends, Dorian North. Um, he's doing a, he does this series called Pink Mug Poetry. And he's taking lines from his old poems and asking people to rework them. And the line was, the journeys I will take. And this is what I came up with. Cool. Nice. The journeys I will take will not be easy. And I know this. They will not always be the flat black tarmac roads of my teens and nor will the ascension into the clouds be free from turbulence. There will not always be cherry blossoms spitting their blessings at my feet and my landings may be risky. I may come out of them bruised, scarred. I may even skid on the unexpected oil of yet to be lived experience and break some bones for good measure. It will be okay. The journeys I will take will not be easy and I know this. They may require scrambling. The footholds may be unstable and I know I will be scared of falling, but I will keep my eyes on the stars that I am want to hit. I want to feel myself explode in wonder, to burn into existence new paths on the backs of trauma. Let me dig my heels into the dirt and use these rusted chairlifts of good friendships. Steal myself for vertical cliff faces because I can scale these too. I will gain my energy from the I love yous of the friends who never left. My back will ache and my knees will quiver and not always for the best of reasons. I will catch the skies and reel in universes and it will not be easy. I know this, but I am ready anyway. Whoa. That was really nice. Thank you. Awesome. Right, I'm gonna, I've got uh, such a wide question now. Um, <laughs> what does it mean to be Northern? Oh, gosh. I lived in the South for 10 years, you know, Oof. and I lived in Brighton for a really long time. And I think that Portsmouth. informs you even better. <laughs> now you know both. And it's, I always, I think the North and South have their own distinct identities. Mm -hmm. And I've never really bought into the like hard faced Northern or softy Southern thing. But there's just something about coming home where it's like, 
can't even explain it. I mean, part of it is that chips and gravy are just dead yeah. cheap and readily yeah. available. And scraps. Uh, and no, scraps. no one does scraps below the potato. It all comes down to gravy. <laughs> it really does. Do you Bam. know we were in Brighton and I bought chips, gravy and a sausage and it was £7.50. <gasps> Oh it's God! A daylight for robbery. chips and a sausage. I was like, you need a mask and a stripe. Clutching my pearls. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's, there's just a kind of. I think one of the things I used to disagree with my friends who lived in the south on a lot was the nature of things like poverty and yeah. growing up in areas that were underinvested. And mm-hmm. and so I grew up in Warrington, really close to Liverpool and Manchester, and we felt Thatcher. Mm. And I think there's there's a specific, there's a kind of feeling and, and a lived experience and almost like a collective trauma in certain generations from the North that they just don't feel in the South yeah. mm. for varied reasons. I mean, there is poverty in the South and there is a lot of struggle in the South, but it's just different up here. And mm. it's really yeah. hard for me to explain it, but there's, it's just a different energy yeah. completely. I agree. Like it, there's no reason for absolutes. Like it's not like no. a one definite kind of person in the South, one definite mm-hmm. in the North. But yeah, it's a very, it's really complex, but I know exactly what you mean. Mm. There's, there is like a kind of um, friendly knowledge that everyone else is involved in a kind of bit more of a battle here. Yeah, there's more community, I think, from... Because I was in Brighton where everyone had come from somewhere else. Yeah. There, was, there was very few people right. that yeah. actually had grown up and lived in Brighton. Um, but, like, for me, it was just that that community and that, yeah. that common yeah, shared understanding of what everyone needs. And, and like, there yeah. being a village, because one of the reasons I moved up here was to have my son, because I knew I wasn't going to be able to do that in Brighton. Right. Um, but I knew up here I had like my family were close by, I had friends close by. There's mm. loads of stuff going on, loads of support and just um, a lot more provision. And I think it is that community sense. Yeah, I think it's as well like, like I lived in London for a bit as well, but I've lived like I lived in Wales for quite a few years. And I think for me, it's just it's kind of almost like people in the South obviously still see poverty and depravity and kind of like communities that just don't get support it's almost like there's a lack of awareness of how bad it was in the north and in wales as well yeah like those parts of you know the uk are hit so badly because i mean there's a lot of disparity in where the funding goes and you know like i remember the fir- when i first moved to london being absolutely shocked by how nice the trains and the buses were yeah and the fact that i could get on a bus <laughs> With a card. Big up the number 16. Yeah, and then obviously (laughs) now we can actually pay contactless on on transport and stuff, but for so long, and then you'd mention it to people that lived in the South and they'd be like, what do you mean? What do you mean you can't pay contactless on a bus? And you'd be (laughs) like, we don't have the same, like, it's like everything that happens everywhere else is like several years behind. Yeah. But it affects us so much more because it's not like the economy is slowing down and waiting for the investments to happen in the North. Yeah. So you have all these families that are just stuck waiting for it to catch up. Yeah. When we did Brighton, Ant introduced himself and was like, I'm Anthony Briscoe. I'm from Blackpool, which is like Brighton, but without any infrastructure. It's <laughs> 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 like, you're kind of right there. Like. That is so yeah. on, the, on the head. Beauty. Um, are there any, a f- little follow-up question to that, are there any specific traits you could attribute to Northern writing, poetry or otherwise? 
I think there's a lot more willingness in Northern poetry to just say it as it is, mm. to not dress it up. There's a lot, from what I know, I mean, there are, there are thousands of, of writers around the country, but from what I know of the Northern writers I've worked with, they're less afraid of what other people think of what they write yeah. or how they're going to be judged. Um, it's very much a, I've written this, I'm dead proud of it. It tells you who I am and I'm going to share it. And it's not like that pouring over Instagram and going, oh my goodness, have I got likes? Have I got shares? Mm. What do people like? Do we need to do a breakdown of it? Um, and it's very much a, they're just, they're just doing it for them yeah, rather than for right. other people. And I think that is true of, well, I mean, we've got, writers from the south on our roster and, and it's true of them too but it's definitely much more of a mm-hmm. take me as i am yeah. yeah it's quite a cliche but it is true i think that plays stereotype. into the the like how does that relate to the way we've been underfunded historically do you know what i mean yeah do you I think, think that's part of it like the kind I of a, a willingness so. to be plain and like more kind of community art mm. yeah like tom always says like when tom first wrote lovely chubbly he said to me I didn't do very well at GCSE English and I didn't do very well at school in general um, because the poetry they were making me read, mm. I w- didn't have any interest in. And he was like, so I write pub poetry. I write for the bloke down the pub who I know will love poetry, but never got the chance because mm. all he read at school was the classics. Yeah. So he, he, goes into it writing for that person and james is like i write for me i don't write for schools i don't write Mm. for for anyone else i write my truth for me because i never got to see that when i was at school and i think that is a big part of it i I think it's it's so true that the way that schools present poetry is so bad i hated poetry growing up i never liked it i just didn't see any that i could relate to. yeah i didn't like i remember just not even being able to understand it. And they try, they tell you, you know, you've got to look for metaphors and similes and like look at how they're writing the rhymes and you'd be like, but why? And they mm. would never really answer. And I remember no. the first time that I read a poem and I genuinely was like, oh my God, I think I might actually like poetry. Yeah. It was Carol Ann Duffy, but she also compared to like other more classical, traditional 20th century poetry, she genuinely writes readable poetry right. yeah like play, it's yeah play, you can see yeah i think one of the first about. books that i bought was the I, th- I can't remember what the collection's called but it's all about famous wives but the world's wife yes That's my favorite yes, collection it's of poetry. so yeah. good <laughs> and i remember reading it and thinking oh wow yeah poetry's cool yeah, yeah i like this i was really lucky because when i was at school like a hundred years ago i was there kind of i was in the labor years mm. so i i did like um Simon Armitage and Caroline Duffy and that was it so mm. they were my poets that I studied in depth so like the first poem that I ever loved was I am very bothered by Simon Armitage yeah and it that's I think that inspires me and what I write about because it is dead mundane and boring like he's just talking about burning someone's fingers with a pair of scissors at school because he's <laughs> a bit of a bully but he secretly likes her and we did a lot of Caroline Duffy and, mm. and um, Hathaway and um, Valentine and mm. all that kind of stuff and then now, kind of coming off of the back of teaching the most recent anthologies at schools, and it's like Charge of the Light Brigade and Dulce de Coromess, and there's a lot yeah. of space for those poems, but you don't see that much yeah. of those more contemporary poets anymore, and it's a shame because, mm. especially because it's a closed book exam, so they yeah. go in yeah. and they, they don't, they can't see the poems in front of them. 
and they're so focused on having to remember quotes mm-hmm. that you don't ever really get the chance to really instill that love of poetry in them like totally i think like i think you're right like in school they need to they do need to modernize it and bring poets like like you're putting up more into the conversation i think it's good to have a, a like a full gamut i think i've got like a tiny section of old english poetry do you know what i mean it's yeah. so this it was so limited in scope it needs to be opened up a little bit more i think absolutely it's something that i'm working on at the minute is a kind of resource pack of poems for schools because you've got people like you know we've got James and he writes in he he spells phonetically so mm. when you read it it's in his, it's in his accent and I it's that's James I Walton. love that James yeah. Walton and and Belton it's all just written with that slang and that mm-hmm. and, and it's so good for teaching identity mm. and it's memorable because he talks about chippy teas and going <laughs> to Blackpool with his, with his grandma and granddad and then um you know, you've got Tom making up words like influences and, and yeah. <laughs> it's it's so exciting. And that's what, in my opinion, that's what people need to see more of at school because yeah. otherwise they're not going to love poetry. Loads of the boys and girls at school love rap. Yeah. Totally. <laughs> it follows thing, on. Yeah. But, but the more you know about it, it will lead you to these more mm-hmm. abstract forms. It'll lead you yeah. to the older poets. It leads you. Mm. But you need that. You need to catch on to something. Yeah. Something that yeah. you can grasp on. They know what an eternal rhyme is. They yeah. know what they know what cadence is. They Absolutely. know what meter is. They Lyric already know teaches it all. you all you need to know. They just don't want to sit down and recharge the light brigade. Yeah. It's mad because like, I yeah. remember yeah. when I went to uni and part like all our modules in our first year were set like you all had to do the same classes and I remember thinking oh god this is gonna be horrible <laughs> but then like when we did poetry I was reading the, I was like this is so much easier than what they made us read in school it's like why are they giving us these really tough classical poems that we can't relate to as kids in a society in 21st century instead of giving us this contemporary poetry mm. that eh, you can read like really easily because you've not had to try and learn Shakespearean English to kind yeah. of get through <laughs> your class when you're 13 years old. It just drove me mad that like there was that option there for this amazing contemporary poetry that helped me to love poetry and kids don't get to read it. Do you know what's more frustrating as well? And I know this because I used to run an English department. Is that it? The teachers want to do it. Yeah. They yeah. want to deliver it. And you've got all these staff all over the country going, I know this amazing poet. I want to do this. Mm-hmm. I want to do that. Mm. And it's evidence like when Amanda Gorman gave a speech um, in America after the yeah. shooting. Um, was it after the shooting? She gave a she gave a speech where she last year. Was it? Was it last year or the year before now? It was a while ago, yeah. wasn't it? God, times blended all yeah. into one. <laughs> but when, <laughs> when she did that time. poem, yeah. all the schools jumped on it yeah. and did this whole amazing kind of set of lessons on Amanda Gorman and, and what she was speaking about and, and what she was talking about. So it can be done, mm-hmm. but the parameters of the curriculum are such that it has to be old, white, stale yeah. and male mm-hmm. for the most part of it. And, and that's a real shame because... The cultural capital of kids is really declining. Yeah. And I think there's this mistaken view that giving them simpler poetry is not going to enhance that cultural capital when actually it does because you're seeing all these different viewpoints. There's mm. still a place for that old poetry. Yeah. But it has to be juxtaposed with what we're doing now because otherwise what's the point? Absolutely. And you like you start kids off reading from a young age and they grow into novels. You start them on picture books and then they're reading novels and then they read classics. So why is it that when it comes to poetry, 
you're just giving them the hard stuff straight away because it's seen as well this is the peak of poetry this is what all kids should know it was never sold as cool no and it was never like this can be beauty this Mm. can be truth it can be like do you know what i mean there was no one there I remember our teacher was teaching William Blake and fair play, she was sound, big (laughs) up. But um, I just remember thinking that the thing was really boring because I remember her like not wanting to do it. And that's Mm -hmm. no fault of hers. I'm sure she didn't really want to teach William Blake, but I just remember I came away not really wanting to Mm. learn it. And when I I finally discovered poetry, I was like, shit, that was such a good poem. I don't know if we're allowed to swear on the podcast. Yeah, swear away. (laughs) I've been swearing all week. Okay, fab. (laughs) But you've got to have the passion there, haven't you? And I think Mm. that's that's what's forgotten a lot of the time is that we're, we're for some reason, mistakenly asking our students to to be well-versed in something that was written 200 years ago, 100 years ago, but ignoring the wealth like i love tony walsh i think he's a vital vital and important voice and he doesn't get a look in on the curriculum Mm. and you just think why because what he's saying is dead important it's all about pride and understanding yourself and it's a real shame and it's a real like when i'm prime minister it will all change (laughs) well there's a vacant spot actually as of this morning we are recording this podcast on the 7th of July and something really cool just happened but we won't date the podcast by talking about it so um yes so Simon Armitage then was that probably the first time you read a poem that was like like it really stuck with you there's two poems in my life that I kind of carry around with me rent free in my head and the first one is I am bothered very bothered by Simon Armitage Mm -hmm. and I just love it because it was the first time that I saw somebody take something mundane and make it really beautiful Mm. and I don't know why but it's always just really stuck with me you know and and just the way that he juxtaposes that experience with the language so there's this line where he goes oh the unrivaled stench of branded skin and it's so dramatic Mm. and and I just really (laughs) love it and um and that that's the first one and then when I was at university I did a creative writing class and I was introduced to this poem called Sweetness by Stephen Dunn. And it's all about how when your life is really, really, really terrible, there's always a little thing that comes, this little sweetness that comes. And um, and no matter how tiny it is, it just helps you realise that you mm. can just continue and carry on going. And it's it that for me, at the time, I remember when I was, God, I always must have been 19. I was like, that's going to come in useful for me at some point in my life. And then lo and behold, yeah. like nine months ago, I'm sat there in bed going, where's my sweetness? Yeah. And then it's come and I'm yeah. like, this is amazing. Wow. <laughs> um, and I, it's weird. I, I don't really believe in that kind of stuff. But I, th- I just think there was a reason I was carrying that poem around with me for yeah. so long. And I don't even really know Stephen Dunn. I've never bothered to read any of his other stuff, which yeah. is awful. <laughs> just that, one, just poem. that one poem. Um, but yeah. One hit wonder. There are my two that I love. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> What was the last poem that you read that kind of stuck with you like that? Oh, God. Lowell Perkin does a poem called Kitten Teeth. Mm. And it's probably the most vulnerable poem I've ever seen anybody perform. And it's all about trauma and owning that trauma and going, you know, she says, you've got kitten teeth and they're nibbling into my skin. and But they're just kitten teeth. So you're trying to bite me, but you're not. Yeah. You'll never succeed. And then she has this line where she says, I am something in chocolate lines i am red vines and doll's hair intertwined and it's just such a nice image and when she reads it 
it just really makes me feel something mm. and and for me just to see somebody taking something terrible and turning it into something gorgeous is dead important and oh, that's, that's amazing it's, it's, it's in a book <laughs> it's in yeah theming. i can't um, wait to read this but book. it's such a good poem and mm. it's one of my favorites of hers and i love seeing her perform it as well because she just owns it mm. love it shall we have our last poem from you yeah i've got a long one or a short one <laughs> i mean i'm up for a long one it's yeah. up to you my long one i know i think Okay. <laughs> I'll be testing you now. Testing yeah, that's you now. it. Well, this is no a, mistakes. I've got, um, I've got Camden Fringe coming up, and I'm trying to trying to learn my poems off by heart. It's hard wow. work. Mm-hmm. I can't even bring myself to do. I'm, I, as soon as I get up on stage, I'm like, it's all gone. The this stage fright just like <laughs> knocks it all out. It's hard, isn't it? But yeah. everyone else remembers them, and I'm like, gosh, I'm the founder, and I'm reading off the book. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, this one's called Elephant Juice, and I don't know why it's called Elephant Juice. I think it's because it's all about love and kind of mm. appreciating things. And I don't know if you did this when you were at school, but you'd kind of mouth elephant juice to people, and they'd be like, oh, why did you think I yeah. said I love you? <laughs> and I think it's just that childlike kind of wonder and wanting to feel everything, which is kind mm. of the refrain of the poem. So this is Elephant Juice. I want to feel everything, every single little moment, every fragment and shard of existence. I want my lungs to burn with the strain of containing all of this experience. Fill me with sorrow until I feel like I am drowning. Wrench my heart from my chest with sharpened claws before replanting with a softened palm. Pull me into pieces limb by limb and then stitch me back together with threads of leather because I want to feel everything. Coat me in diamonds and put me on display. Tuck me inside your coat pocket to hide me away. Bring me dismay on a silver platter. Destroy all the confidence I have that I might matter. In fact, go one better. Try to deny me the fuel that I need, that I use, that inspires me. And watch how I burn anyway. Brighter than fireworks. Because what's for me will never go by me. And sometimes, yeah, life hurts. But I want to feel everything. I want to know the pain of loss and then feel it juxtaposed. I want to feel the joy of sunshine pressing on my back, the intense fear of leaving you or of losing you, the crack of bones, the smash of glass, the taste of wine, the smell of grass. I want to feel I had a chance and did it all both clean and crass. I want to feel everything. So give me everything you've got. Send me life's gut punches. Serve me tea scolding hot. Don't tell me to stop or... Try to tell me to stop. Let me feel the pain of losing and the thrill of being top and the thrill of being topped as well, I suppose. Take me to dinner and treat me to roses. Pose with me in toilet mirrors and reject my proposals. Be at my beck and call and have me there at your disposal because I want to feel everything. I want to drink that coffee that's been shit out by weasels. Smoke joints in bars in barley and confront my inner evil on a warm September night. And I would like to go medieval in the bedroom and then head to a reenactment and drink some mead beneath a blood moon. I want to drink you in. I want to taste your sweat. I want to feel the types of feelings I'll never forget. So duet with me on drunken nights and kiss me on the neck because I want to feel everything. I want to breathe the whole world in. I want to fly. I want to fall. I want to douse myself in sin. I want to pull you into me until we melt together in the most delicious fuck up that the world could ever revel in. I want to hurt and I want to laugh and I want to let both God and the devil in. I want to cry myself to sleep and feel this earth's benevolence. I want to feel everything. Just that and nothing more. 
I want a wild buffet of feelings parked outside my brain's back door and I want to sample every colour that this rainbow has to offer. I want to feel my aura change. I want to know I made a dent in this timeline's page. I want to feel everything. So please take my soul. I trust you to destroy it and to then replace it whole. Break me down to atoms and then turn me into coal. Take me from my prime and rip me a new arsehole and crush me until I become diamond. Take me down to hell and back because I know I'll always find me. And at the end of all of this, there is just one thing to say. A pronouncement. An announcement as I declare today, I want to feel everything. I am ready to feel everything. Absolutely everything. I want to feel it all. That was amazing. Thank you. <laughs> Love it. The rhymes. I just think like rhyme is one of the things that I, I love, but I struggle with. But you do it so effortlessly. Like uh, the way it just flows out is amazing. Do you know, I struggled for so long with rhyme and I couldn't do it. And then I had a conversation with Mark Forster, the B-Bar barman, who's just mm. an incredible poet. And I gave him a poem that I'd written and I was like, please be honest with me. And he broke it down line by line and he was teaching me all these different ways. So I have to give him credit for that because it was something I really struggled with until he sat down with me and kind of mentored me a little mm. bit, really. Yeah, lots of internal rhyme. and yeah, yeah, it was really good. Yeah, he was like, you know, you end a word with, you end a line with a word, but rather than ending the next line with the word, start the line with the word. Mm. And I was like, oh, that's not, I mean, and I've taught English for a really yeah. long time, but I'd never <laughs> considered it. And and so, yeah, he, it, it was definitely something I struggled with, but he really helped me and his stuff is amazing. So... It was really a privilege to have him teach me yeah. his ways. Who's that one more time, just as a shout out? Mark Forster. Mark so Forster. he's the B-Bar barman. Um, he's, his stuff has been picked up by the BBC, actually. He did a piece for the, the World Cup. Oh, nice. Oh, wow. So, That's sick. But he's one of those people that'll go, I'm not that good. <laughs> <laughs> Do you know I'm loving seeing all the spoken word coming out through media and mm. like advertisements, things like that that you just think... No, it sounds so much better with a spoken word piece, in it? Well, I think especially with Joelle Taylor winning yeah. um, the T.S. Eliot um, prize mm -hmm. this year, it's brought spoken word to the fore. It's like yeah. finally academic uh, recognition and recognition in about awards. Time. So it's good. Yeah. yeah, about time, definitely. And you've got someone like Kay Tempest as well, who kind yeah. of just walks that line between spoken word and music, and it's kind of bridging yeah. it for a lot of people because there are a lot of people that will go, oh, rap and poetry are very different. Mm. To me, I think there is a lot of crossover, and I think yeah. Kay Tempest kind of proves that. And I loved Kay Tempest a long time ago, but now seeing them branching into music as well and doing mm. all that, I think it's really closing that gap. I've got friends that never listen to their spoken word stuff, but now are going back and sampling it mm. because they like the music. Mm. So that's been really nice to see as well. Right, we're going to finish with some quick fire questions. <laughs> okay. <laughs> okay, so Rebecca hasn't heard these before. Um, think we're going to have the same ones um, for each episode of the podcast, but um, we're still working it out. So. Okay. Um, okay, are you ready? Yes. Okay. So, silly question section. What's the worst film you've ever seen? Con Air, but it's also the best. Oh my God, I love Ooh. Con Air. Best book you've ever read? Watermelon by Marion Keys. Mm, what's your theme song? Laid by James. What's your favourite smell? Petrol. What vegetable would you be? carrot and finally if you could only have one thing what would it be oh gosh 
Well, no. Um, oh, it just sounds like a cold pint of beer. <laughs> <laughs> it is a hot day, listeners. So, yeah, feeling that. Petrol. That's what I've landed on. Petrol is your favourite smell. I feel like I hadn't thought of that, but I think wow. we're going to get a lot of petrol. <laughs> it's quite. It's quite a common one. Mm. Um, yeah, God, either that or that is a good grass. answer. Fresh cut grass. As Fair well. enough. Reminds nice. me of summer. Mm. Right. So we want to thank you very, very much. Yeah, thank thanks you for, for having me. Us. Thank you. Um, check out um, everything Benkey's doing. They have a website, benkeypublishing.co.uk. That's that the correct? one. Yeah. Um, and they're doing loads of stuff. They're at Camden Fringe. Pick up their A Up anthology. Yep. Um, thank you very much, Rebecca Kenny. Thank you so much. Loved it. Amazing. <laughs> <laughs> For more info on all the events, go to leadspoachfestival.com slash events. You can find a copy of our program there and links to all our tickets, including a full festival pass so you can come to all of the events, Saturday day pass, Sunday day pass and a full weekend pass as well.